Uh, Well, we looked at some titles before uh, in the game that Brock got us to play, and we saw how different titles tell us different things about certain people. Titles are identity markers, aren't they? They point out stuff about who we are. But have you noticed how titles matter to some people more than they matter to others? I'll give you an example. I was visiting my nan. She's just moved into some assisted living in a retirement village in Wagga. And I was walking down the corridor where all the apartments uh, come off and most of the doors, I think pretty much all the doors are just blank, but there was one door that wasn't. It had someone's name, but it didn't just have their name, it had their title. Father so-and-so. I think he must have been a retired priest and he wanted everyone to know about it. But not only that, it didn't just have father uh, on the door, on his front door, it had OAM. He wanted everyone to know that he'd been awarded the Order of Australia medal as well. Obviously to him, his titles mattered and he wanted people to know uh, his titles. But then for others, titles don't matter as much. When I was at Bible college, most of my lecturers were doctors. They had PhDs. They'd researched a particular area and were qualified as doctors. But none of them cared. Like, none of them wanted you to call them Dr. So-and-so. We had, as a student body, we had nicknames for all of them like any other Australian. You just add O or A uh, to, their, to their name, like Tomo or, um, or Sheedy or something like that. That's what, that's what we called them because they didn't want to be uh, drawn, they didn't want to draw attention to themselves uh, in that way. But in any case, there's a place for titles, isn't there? If, if they were writing a book, they'd put their title probably uh, attached to their name to show that they are uniquely qualified uh, to write on that subject. And so when it comes to Jesus, the three titles that were given for him in the Apostles' Creed, they do actually matter. They're not just badges of honour that you kind of stamp on Jesus that makes him feel better about himself or something like that. The titles of Christ, Son and Lord sum up who Jesus is. And they matter massively because if Jesus is not all three of these, as Christians, we lose everything. The Gospel, the Church, relationship with God. We lose it all if Jesus is not Christ, Son and Lord. But all three of these are on solid ground. If you were here last week, you might remember the image of the moon reflecting the light of the sun and how the Apostles' Creed, like the moon, reflects the light of God's Word, the Bible. The titles given to Jesus in the Creed, they're not just plucked out of thin air, They're not chosen at random. They're not drawn out of a hat filled with, you know, many other options. They're chosen specifically because they capture what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. That's what they do. Maybe you're really familiar with these titles for Jesus. You've heard them before and and perhaps you've become so familiar with them that the significance of them is kind of forgotten to you or, or lost. 
Or maybe, maybe you've heard Jesus identified like this before, but you've, you haven't actually thought about or you're, you're not sure what they mean and why they matter. Wherever you're at, whatever your understanding, with each of these titles, we can gain three things. Greater clarity on who Jesus is, better balance, for want of a better word, uh, in a well-rounded faith, and deeper community founded in Him. And I'm hoping that we see this with each of these titles. So the first title there in the creed, given to Jesus, is Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the title that identifies Jesus in history. It's not Jesus' last name, like Baron is mine. If a teacher was marking the role at Bethlehem Primary School, they don't call out Jesus Christ and expect the little boy to answer. And it's more than a swear word. Uh, something I heard quite a lot on the hockey field yesterday, especially with the umpiring. Christ is the title that points to Jesus' role in God's story. The true story, the story of the Bible, set in real time, in real space, with real people. The Bible is not like a fantasy novel, set in another world with fictional characters that teach us truths about us, or something like that. The Bible is an unfolding of God's story in real time and in real space. And this story, as you read it, gives the nation of Israel a special place, a central place in God's plans for the world. And like many nations, like our nation... Israel had hopes and dreams. It longed for peace, security, prosperity in a changing, in a volatile world around them. And all their hopes and dreams were pinned in a promise, or on a promise. A promise from God of a Christ, a Messiah. You can read about the promise in 2 Samuel 7. If you haven't read 2 Samuel 7 before, uh, go home and read it today. It's one of those purple passages of Scripture. And in that passage, God promises a king in the line of David, a king who would rule over Israel not for 10 years, not for 100 years, but forever. And there were massive expectations, as you can imagine, with this king that was promised. This Christ, he would rescue God's people He would bring the peace, the security, the prosperity that was longed for. This Christ, the Son of David, was the hope of a nation. Well, there was a long wait for Christ's arrival. But as we move along in God's story and get to the New Testament, none of the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, none of them are slow in identifying Jesus as the Christ. Take Mark, for example, in the very first sentence, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, right there, up front. And then in part one of Mark, as you read along, you you see how Mark shows that Jesus ticks all the boxes for what was expected of this Christ Messiah figure. And the high point comes in chapter 8, 
with Peter's confession. Some people thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Some thought he was Elijah. Some thought he was a prophet. But when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, you are the Christ. It's a big call, isn't it? In the in the shadow of the mighty Roman Empire, Peter the fisherman declares Jesus to be the king. The king over every earthly power and heavenly power. The king who would bring the peace, prosperity and security that God's people longed for. But what Peter didn't understand was the way to power. The way to power for Jesus would be suffering rejection by his own, a death, but crucially, a resurrection. Now, it's not just the Gospels that identify Jesus as the Christ. You can go to almost any book in the New Testament and find Jesus identified that way. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the chapter we read earlier, this is an absolute gold chapter. Look there at verse 1 and 2, if you've got it open. If you haven't, open up or flick, swipe there on your phones, however you read the Bible. Verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews 1. And notice the history that's captured up in these verses. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. History, real time, real space. But in these last days, in the present, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. Now, don't get confused here. Jesus is described here as the Son, but captured up in the way that the author to the Hebrews uses Son language is the idea of Jesus as the Christ. That phrase, whom he appointed heir of all things, is captured there. Captures Jesus as the Christ there. Jesus' identity as God's son means more than Christ, as we'll see, but not less. And then as you read on in Hebrews, as Lorraine read for us earlier, from verse 5, there's a string of Old Testament references and quotes And these Old Testament references and quotes add historical weight and confidence to this title of Jesus as the Christ, to this identification. Jesus is identified as the promised king in David's line. He's the son who rules eternally over all of creation, even the angels. Everything promised in the Messiah all the hopes and expectations, Hebrews chapter 1 says, are fulfilled in Jesus. And so by identifying Jesus in history, Christ is a title that gives us greater clarity, doesn't it, on who Jesus is. See, not only is Jesus a real flesh and blood historical person who turned up in real time and in real space and mixed with real people, There's a whole history behind him. And we, as readers of Scripture, have the inside word on that history in the Bible. What a privilege. How awesome is it that God gives us that clarity? 
that story. Christianity, you see, is not a mystical religion that originated in someone's head and somehow ended up being written down. There's a rich history, a rich context to Christianity centered on Christ. That's the clarity. But it's also a title that gives us better balance in a well-rounded faith and helps us not to, not to have weaknesses in our, in our understanding of who Jesus is. See, we can better understand the past and how it connects to the present and how the present connects to the future, this storyline that we have in Scripture. And we can understand better how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. We can be pretty unbalanced, I think, sometimes in, in, our, in the way we can... We, we know so much in the New Testament sometimes, I reckon. I know it's the case for me. But we're not nowhere near as familiar with the Old Testament. Now, I know that part of the reason for that is because the Old Testament is just massive and the New Testament's smaller. But if we, if we pay attention to what God reveals to us in the Old Testament, we can appreciate even more and understand even better who this Jesus is and have confidence to stand firm in our faith. You see, this one story revealed throughout the whole of Scripture grounds our faith as we see the same God working out His plans and purposes throughout the story. So do go home and read 2 Samuel 7 or maybe Genesis 12, Psalm 2, Psalm 8 or just anything really. I've been finding Leviticus hard going though. I've been trying to, anyway. Um, uh, The final point on the Christ title before we move to the Son is that it can give us a deeper sense of community together. Because just as Christ was Israel's Messiah, the hope of a nation, he's the hope of all nations. And the promise is that all nations will be best blessed through him. That's Genesis 12, uh, if you go there. So the point I'm making here is that the scriptures are our story too, not just Israel's story. Each of our individual stories, you know, you all have a backstory in this room, a history, a family history, you've come from somewhere, you've been shaped by something, people, places. Well, all our individual stories, if we are believers and have faith in Christ, converge together in this big story. The story of promise and fulfilment in Christ. That's our collective story. And it's something that we celebrate together when we sing, when we share the Lord's Supper, when we meet around God's Word, when we share an encouraging word to one another. We're celebrating this community founded in this one story. And we're building it together. So that's the Christ, the title that identifies Jesus in history. The second title given to Jesus in the Creed is Son. I believe in Jesus Christ 
his only son. And with this title, we've moved from flesh and blood, that realm, the realm of time and space, to another altogether. Yes, Jesus in his humanity is the royal son of David, the Christ. But he's more than that. He's the eternal son of God. Jesus the Christ has a beginning, but Jesus, God's unique son, has no beginning and will have no end. See, the uniqueness of Jesus' sonship is in his eternal relationship to God the Father, where there has always been and always will be a giving out in love between Father, Son and Spirit, the triune God that this creed that we confess is structured around. Jesus has always been and always will be part of the Godhead, part of the three-in-one that we sing about in that song based on the creed, which we'll sing soon. But remember, this isn't something that the human mind has come up with. Remember, the Apostles' Creed reflects the light of God's Word, the Bible. God has revealed this to us. Scriptures reveal it to us. Check out how Hebrews 1 describes the Son. In verse 2, the eternal Son is the agent of creation, the vehicle, the means by which the universe is made. Through Him, the whole universe is made. Colossians 1 makes the same point. In verse 3, the eternal Son is God Himself. He's the exact representation of His being the perfect embodiment of God as he really is. It reminds me of John 14, when Philip asks Jesus to show him the Father, and what does Jesus say? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, to see Jesus is to see God. And as we read on through that string of Old Testament references again, just like the Christ in Hebrews 1, The claim that Jesus is the eternal Son of God is confirmed and backed up in the Old Testament Scriptures. There's this continuity again, isn't there? He's the one to be worshipped by angels, verse 6. Only God is to be worshipped. The Bible's really clear on that. To worship anything created is an abomination. It's a disgrace. But the Son doesn't belong to the created order like the angels. He takes on flesh, sure. He is fully man. But at the same time, he's fully God. Look at verse 10 to 12. It's a quote from Psalm 102, verse 10 to 12 of Hebrews 1. And notice how the eternal nature of the Son is contrasted to the transient or impermanence of creation. Verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, this is speaking about Jesus, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. See, everything else changes, doesn't it? We know that. We experience that in the world. 
with ourselves. But God cannot change. God cannot change. And the Son is identified as this God. Son is the title that identifies Jesus in eternity. And by doing so, again, just like Christ, it gives us greater clarity on who Jesus is, doesn't it? Lots of people have a belief about Jesus. He's a good teacher or a prophet. He's someone that we can follow the example of. He's a good guy. He's meek. He's mild. And throughout history, lots of people have tried to say and have made the claim that Jesus isn't fully God, that he was created. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same today. There are whole religions, belief systems that don't, that want to have Jesus and want to have the Bible, but not have Jesus as God. But the Bible is clear that Jesus was never created. He says... He says to the, to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. I am God in the flesh. I always have been, I always will be. That's what he says. Jesus is God, not just man. And I think this is the better balance, if you like, that this title can give us. A, a more well-rounded faith, if you like. We might be drawn to Jesus' humanity and know that because we know that he sympathises with us in our weakness. He walked this earth like us. He was subject to suffering, to change, to struggle in his humanity like us. And there's a comfort in that and we should hold on to that. But at the same time, this isn't just a man. This is God the eternal Son, who always has been and always will be. Jesus is God, not just man. And there's no hope for us, really, if this isn't true. How can sin be dealt with if Jesus isn't God? When we worship Jesus, we worship God. He's more than our best friend, He's more than the one that we look to who identifies with us in our pain. And one thing I reckon that we need to remember too, that Jesus is more than an ideal version of ourselves, if you like. That's not what Jesus is. It's way more than that. He's the eternal Son. And in terms of deeper community, what does this How does this title of Jesus as the Son deepen our sense of community together? Well, I think it's in our our relationship to the Son. See, we too are described in the Bible as God's sons, not quite in the same way as Jesus, but nonetheless, we are children of God. See, the Holy Spirit enables us to be adopted into sonship as God's dearly loved children. We are brothers and sisters together because Jesus is the Son. We too can call God our Father 
because Jesus is the Son. The Father receives us as his children and loves us with the same affection that he has always loved his Son. Isn't that amazing? That intimacy we have with him by the Spirit, that new identity gone from being orphans to being children of God. That's what we are. Well, the third title given to Jesus in the Creed is Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And in many ways, this is where the rubber hits the road for us. That one word there that we might be tempted to skip over. Our Lord. Our. Our Lord. See, Lord is a title, or is the title, that identifies Jesus in our lives. Over our lives, if you like. And it goes without saying, doesn't it, if Jesus really is the Christ, if he really is the eternal Son, then he's got to be the Lord, doesn't he? He's got to be the boss of me, the boss of you, the boss of everything. Having died for sins, Jesus rose to life. He ascended to the Father and he sat down, as it's described in Hebrews 1, at his right hand. It's the position of authority. When we think of sitting, we think of having a break. You know, reclining perhaps, or taking a, taking a breath, relaxing. The seated position here in Hebrews is the position of authority, the position of power, the place where one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so what's the clarity here? Well, it's obvious, in a sense. There's clarity on who's in charge. Scott Morrison isn't in charge, ultimately. Neither would Bill Shorten be if he was elected. Your ministers, your pastors. Russell is not in charge, ultimately. Jesus is. And he gives the authority. Your teachers, school kids, they're not ultimately in charge. They have authority, but not God's authority. Your principal isn't in charge. Any authority figure on earth isn't ultimately in charge. Jesus the Lord is in charge. Now, I think the hard thing about this for us is that we can lose sight of this. It can seem like he's not in charge. Because it's true, isn't it, that not, not everything is seen to be under his feet in the way it will be when he returns, as he gives time for people to turn back to him and repent. But he's there. 
and he is in charge. And we need to submit to him. And so the better balance that we can have in a more well-rounded faith is that Jesus isn't just our saviour. We like that, don't we? Jesus, our saviour, who forgives us, who cleanses us, who brings us into a relationship with God, who deals with our sin, who gives us new life. It's a great truth to hold on to. But he's not just saviour. He's Lord as well. He's the king. The king of my life and the king of your life. And even if it's only in its infant stages, if you haven't said, I'm going to submit to King Jesus then I don't think you can be a Christian. We need to be in awe of him. And he needs to be the Lord of our lives. And finally, how does this title deepen us as a community in him? Well, I think the key is understanding what kind of Lord Jesus is. See, perhaps, perhaps you have, have the idea that Jesus is a tyrant or a harsh master. That's not Jesus. Jesus is a kind, loving and forgiving Lord. He provides everything we need. Everything. There's nothing that we need that he doesn't give us. And he's not a harsh master. He's the master who loves us. He doesn't bully us into submission. He wants us to see his love and his care and that there's no one better that we can serve than him. And so, wouldn't it be great Wouldn't it be fantastic if we, as God's people here at New Life, go deeper into knowing this Jesus who is our Lord and that our lives in the way that we love and care for one another reflect Jesus' Lordship over our lives. That our relationships would be in his image, if you like, the way he relates to us. Such love and care might be the way we relate to each other. Jesus is the Christ, which identifies him in history. He's the Son, and that identifies him in eternity. He's the Lord, and that identifies him in each of our lives. We're going to say the, this part of the creed together uh, with the first bit that we looked at last week. Uh, if you believe this about Jesus and about the Father, as it comes on the screen, I want to invite you, uh, as we all stand together, to say it confidently in, so that other people can hear you and be encouraged. But if you don't believe it, Don't say it. 
but keep asking questions and keep, and keep wa- wanting to find out more about who this Jesus is. Uh, let's stand now. And we'll say these wonderful truths together, declaring them. Together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. 